Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Welcome to the December podcast. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? I think everyone's struggled with their own different challenges over the past few months. And this second lockdown here in the UK has felt especially difficult as we've moved into winter. It wouldn't be surprising if you were feeling a bit low and anxious, because whatever your situation, we've all experienced a lot of uncertainty and disruption to our lives this year. So it's more important than ever that we focus on our mental health and well-being, and that's what I plan to do in this episode. But first, I'd like to give a shout out to my sponsor, Silk, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. Their wonderful product can transform your intimate life. Because one of the midlife symptoms we don't often talk about is vaginal dryness. It can be a real problem during the perimenopause and the menopause, causing itching, discomfort and painful sex. So I'd like to say a big thank you to them, not just for supporting this podcast, but for offering a gentle and natural solution for women with vaginal dryness. Silk's plant-based formula is made in New Zealand with kiwi vine gum extract, which is a natural lubricant. It's water-based and pH-friendly, so that it gently soothes vaginal dryness and irritation, helping you rediscover your love life. It's available at all chemists and off the shelf in larger boot stores. Visit silk, S-Y-L-K, to order your free sample. And so on to today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome Rachel Weiss back to the podcast. I interviewed Rachel earlier this year to celebrate International Women's Day for episode 14, and we talked all about the light bulb moment that led to her founding the Menopause Cafe, which has grown into a highly successful international movement. She's also gone on to create the first annual Menopause Festival, which is a celebration of women in midlife. If that's whetted your appetite and you'd like to find out more, you should listen to that episode next, because it's fascinating. But today, Rachel's joining us with her other hat on, because she's an accredited counsellor, coach and co-founder of the Rowan Consultancy, which provides a range of counselling and psychotherapy services. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome back, Rachel. It's lovely to have you on the show again. Thank you, Jackie. Let's start with a bit of background to introduce you to the listeners who don't know you. Can you start by telling us about your work as a counsellor and a coach? Sure. I've been a counsellor for, I don't know, about 25 years, I think, and a coach probably for about 15. So that means I I am fascinated with people and particularly with their mental well-being and pretty much how to help them lead more satisfying lives. That's our strapline at Rowan Consultancy, the organisation I work for. And do you specialise in any particular area? No, just in people, Jackie. I think people present (laughs) with an issue like bereavement. It's as if they have a label on their forehead or anxiety or depression. But really, it's the person rather than the label that I focus on. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, look, let's dive straight into it because there's lots to talk about. You know, here we are. Thought we were coming out of lockdown and actually we're just in another version of lockdown. So I think mental health is more on the agenda than ever. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to start with some of the basics. So can you talk us through sort of what's going on with us? What's happening to our brain when we experience low mood or anxiety? Okay, I'll focus on anxiety mainly, Jackie. What happens is our brain gets a false alarm. So there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is a tiny little almond-shaped bit right in the middle in the sort of limbic um, basic area of the brain, and that is our alarm system. So back in the day when we were cave women and cave men, whenever we saw a saber-toothed tiger, the amygdala starts flashing and sending signals going, red alert, red alert. It's like a fire alarm going off. Mm. Um, And this was very useful for escaping from the saber-toothed tiger because when when it flashes, the sympathetic nervous system is activated. All the energy goes to our muscles so that we can run to our legs and to our arms and our fists. We're ready to flee or fight and we can run away. The blood goes away from our digestive system. And this happens at lightning speed. So it's straight from the amygdala, which is the primitive part of the brain, which works about 20 times faster than the front bit of the brain that thinks logically. Mm. So it just happens in a flash, and there we are. What happens with anxiety is false alarm, and our body goes into this state of flight or fight or sometimes freeze when it's not necessary, like when someone shouts at us in the car park or when we read a news report about COVID-19, Rather unhelpfully, the amygdala gets straight in there before the logical bit of the brain can interrupt. (laughs) And there we are, shoulders tense, heart pounding, shallow breathing, you know, blood away, all ready to run away from the saber-toothed tiger while we're sitting at home looking at the news or hearing some bad news. So that's what happens with anxiety. It's a false alarm. It's Mm. our brain trying to keep us safe, saying, stay safe, stay small, you know, don't go outside, don't meet anyone. It means well. It's like a sort of over-anxious parent. I don't know if that helps, or over-anxious friend. Mm, mm. Don't go out, don't talk to anyone, don't do anything, just stay in bed under the duvet and then no one can get you. So it means well, but I think it helps to talk to our anxiety a bit like we'd talk to an overprotective friend or parent. Mm, So tell it not to worry. That's right. Rather than saying don't be silly or don't be stupid, or why do I feel like this? We can just go, look, it's all right, and almost stroke ourselves. I sometimes physically do that. Give yourself a a real hug, you know, cross your arms and stroke your arms, rub your tummy, put your hand on your heart, do something physical, stroke your hand, Mm -hmm. because it's the physical bit we need to get through before any logical thoughts can take over. Yes, because this is also instinctive. That's the problem, isn't it? That's why we need to calm our body first with breathing or stroking before we bring in maybe some cognitive, behavioural, logical thinking things. But we need to address the primitive, fast amygdala chimp. If you've read The Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters, that's quite a good explanation of this primitive bit of the brain that says, stay safe, stay small. 
Mm. Now, I know that neurotransmitters obviously play a key role in mental health. I always think of the brain a little bit like one of those 1950s switchboards that's got all those different wires making unbelievably great connections. But of course, if one of the connections doesn't fire up, then the the phone call can't get put through or in in this case, the the neural pathway can't work. So does that sort of affect our anxiety and our mental health overall as well? Very much. There are two ways. When the amygdala is flashing, this primitive anxiety, the neural connections with the prefrontal cortex, that's the logical bit of our brain, don't function. That's why you may have experienced when you're anxious or agitated or angry or scared, you literally can't think logically because that bit of your brain, Mm. the neurotransmitters are not. So if you've ever tried telling someone who's in a state and talking to them logically, it doesn't work. Yes, because that sense of proportion is no longer there. That's right, which is why before the first thing you need to do is calm and reassure and empathise, and that calms down the amygdala and lets the prefrontal cortex connect again and the neurotransmitters work, at which point Mm. you're ready for... It's like if I come home from work, as I used to do, and go, bloody traffic, it was awful... (laughs) that's my amygdala if my husband then calmly says you know why didn't you take the other train or the other route i'm not hearing it it's going over my head two hours later when i've calmed down prefrontal cortex is working i might go which train did you say was better or which route was better yes yes but that's not what you wanted to hear at that precise moment at the moment yeah in the moment you have to address the primitive brain and just be empathic and Mm, understand mm. like you would to a frightened child you'd reassure first because I know the prefrontal cortex very much sort of governs moderation in behaviour. So if you're experiencing extremes of emotions, extreme sadness, extreme hysterical laughter or extreme yeah. anxiety, so much of that links back to that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and that's what we want to engage to help us manage our anxiety. I think at the moment we all have at least COVID-19 anxiety. Yes, I think anyone not recognising that. And many of us will have yeah. other anxieties on top of that. So it's actually a really good time to have this mm-hmm. conversation if we could all talk about anxiety and all share our tips on how we manage our anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, obviously, from my perspective, that there's a huge role that nutrition can play in all of this. You know, nutrition can directly impact what's going on with your neurotransmitters. Yeah. For example, we need the essential amino acids that are found in protein foods. Mm-hmm. So things like tryptophan, phenylalanine or, or tyrosine. And these the body will use to produce the key neurotransmitters that play an enormous role in mental health. I'm thinking about things like serotonin that governs mm-hmm. our mood. It's often called the good mood neurotransmitter yeah. or nor- noradrenaline that supports our, our get up and go and our motivation and dopamine that helps to keep us feel happy and relaxed. Mm-hmm. So making sure that you're getting a really good balanced diet and not doing anything weird in times of anxiety is is absolutely crucial. I think we shouldn't be eliminating major food groups right now. We should be looking at eating sensibly, getting a good balance of proteins, of carbohydrates, the fats, of course, because the brain is made of fat, and just making sure that we're not sort of driving our body harder when our brain is already, frankly, being driven really quite hard as it is. I think so. And particularly, I think if people are on a plant-based diet, they need to pay attention to how to get those proteins. Yes, absolutely. 
a vegan diet can be in- incredibly healthy, but you know there are only certain plant foods that that contain all the essential amino acids in one easy package. So I'd be thinking about yeah. things like fermented soya, uh, quinoa, for example, hemp are, are examples of plant proteins that have all of the things you need in one package. Otherwise, you've got to start looking for significant variety across the different beans and pulses and across the different nuts and seeds, which is entirely possible. It's just that you've got to work a lot harder and think harder about it. Exactly. It just takes a bit more thought. Mm. And I would also say um, that we need to be thinking about what we're not having as much as what we are having, because alcohol and sugar in high levels, uh, sort of a lot of refined sugar, really can disrupt the action and the balance of our neurotransmitters. So again, if you're already being predisposed to anxiety, that's not going to help matters. And I'd add caffeine to that list, Jackie, to try and limit the amount of caffeine because that can... Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's quite right. And worth remembering, that's not just coffee. I mean, the longer you dunk your tea bag, um, the the more caffeinated it's going to be. And even green tea contains roughly the same amount as as caffeine as black tea because they come from the same plant. So it's important to sort of think about the different sources of caffeine in your diet, which might be some of the the diet sodas, for example, or an awful lot of dark chocolate. So... it comes in many guises. Yeah. I think we have to keep them as a treat. That's that's my... Exactly solution. right. Yeah. So, obviously, and I think you're absolutely right when you say this, I think all of us are experiencing, to a greater or lesser degree, COVID-related anxiety, even if we're, you know, doing our blitz spirit and keeping calm and carrying on. Mm-hmm. But are there particular factors that will make us more or less predisposed to experiencing anxiety? Yes. Is it genetic, for example? Uh-huh. Nature and nurture both contribute. So it can be genetic and also the way you were brought up. If you were brought up to be fearful, to be anxious, maybe just because the adults around you were behaving that way, or maybe because as a kid you had good reason to be anxious and you needed to be Mm. hypervigilant and looking out for danger the whole time, or you've had some traumatic experience. So it can be your genetics and your life experiences can make you more anxious. And you, the thing to remember is you had good, if it's your experiences, that behaviour of stay small, stay safe, be wary, was useful at that stage in your life but is no longer necessary now. And it, it's a question of reprogramming your brain and your body to realise that. So that can predispose us. And then, you know, since this is about menopausal anxiety, at menopause, the decreased oestrogen can make us more prone to be anxious because our hormones are all over the place. Women who experience postnatal depression or premenstrual syndrome, if you're one of those, that means that hormonal changes in your body affect your mood psychologically. So you're more likely to experience menopausal anxiety. Yes, that's very true. I think in particular during the perimenopause, you know, with the decline in progesterone, which is very often the first one to start declining of the hormones, that's the one that can very often kick off a lot of the emotional and psychological symptoms. And of course, is often the big player for women who who struggle with premenstrual anxiety as well. Yes. And the other factors, so that's like the physical factors you were mentioning there. Mm. One of some of the other reasons that menopausal women can feel anxious are also cultural and life stage related. So in some other yeah. cultures where older women are respected, there's far less incidence of increased anxiety in the menopause, as opposed to in Western culture, where we do not value older women at all. So it's cultural factors. What's your view on body image? 
you know, how our body shape often changes to be a bit more matronly. You know, I, I'm putting on yes. belly. I never had a belly before and it's just happening now. I haven't changed my diet, haven't changed anything. If that affects your confidence or your self-image, that might contribute to anxiety. Depends on your own views on ageing women. And you might be at the stage where you've got elderly or dying parents to worry about or teenagers who certainly cause anxiety or an empty nest. Or Do you know, it's that stage in life as well as the physical and the hormonal. Um, and that whole question, what's the point of life? Maybe you're reaching that stage in your career or family of having to reassess what's the meaning of life for you. All of that adds to anxiety. Mm. There's a lot of that questioning of yourself, I think, that goes on in midlife. Yeah. And I think the body confidence is, is is a real concern because it can often end up being a bit of a vicious circle if women feel that they're um, not as confident in their body as they were, they may be less likely to go to the gym, for example, because they, they're they unhappy comparing themselves to other women. And so, of course, if you exercise less, then inevitably um, your body shape may well start to change or you might be experiencing issues with pelvic floor. So you're not so happy to do the, the high impact exercise because you're worried about stress incontinence, which is when you yes. leak a little bit of urine, when you, when you laugh or you jump or you sneeze. So I think there are mm. some both sort of cultural and physical factors that can come in there that can then start to drive that sense of anxiety as well. Yeah. Yes, it's not easy. I think that's a message. And you're not alone for any of the listeners who are experiencing anxiety. This is very common, very normal. And there are some things you can do to ease it. Absolutely. But I think anxiety is, is probably one of the most underestimated symptoms of the menopause, actually. It's, we all talk about sort of hot flushes and, and weight management and so on, but um, many more women experience anxiety than I think is actually genuinely recognised. Along with increased anger and also depression and low mood. So I think I'd name them as the three psychological yes. things that can increase the menopause. But yeah, yeah we'll focus absolutely. On anxiety. And of course, now we've got COVID. And I, I was reading some interesting stats earlier this, this year about the fact that women have been hit particularly hard by COVID because, well, for, for a number of reasons, quite often they're, they're involved in frontline healthcare uh, and therefore are, are, are sort of bearing the brunt of it in that respect. Or they might be more commonly in lower paid jobs that are more likely to be threatened by the economic situation. And then, of course, the whole caring side of things, because they are far more likely to be the ones trying to sort out what's going on with the children, managing the homeschooling, caring for elderly relatives, looking out for local neighbours, being involved in seeking out people who need extra support. So I think it's been a tough time this year all round. Yeah, no, I agree. And in a way, I hope it means anxiety has come out of the closet and can't just be ignored or stifled anymore. I hope so. I I hope so. Because I think undoubtedly, given the job that you do, I'm sure you'll have sort of identified various mental health trends over the past few months. But speaking from my own personal experience, I was asked to fill in a survey about a month ago now by the Office of National Statistics. I was picked at random and it was all about well-being and it was a very well-constructed survey. Um, very well thought through where they asked a number of questions and you had to put yourself out of a score of 10 as to how happy you felt and how anxious you felt. And also it asked specific questions as to how many people you had spoken to outside your household yeah. that day and that week. And and it really made me realise that although I'm not personally, don't generally have been predisposed to anxiety, I 
I wasn't as happy as perhaps I thought I was. And I was falling very much into the trap of keeping calm and carrying on. But when I paused to think, I thought, actually, I need to take some positive steps to make sure that I continue to be well. Yes. And that's what I wish we would all do. Just like we're becoming more used to the idea of taking positive steps to look after our physical health, Mm. whether that's exercising or diet. I'm hoping this whole pandemic will make us all realise we need to consciously take positive conscious steps Mm. to look after our mental well-being and that we will continue doing that once this has passed. So what sort of steps are we talking about? What can we do? Okay, there's an awful lot. So um, I'll start. I'd group them, things you can do to help with anxiety or mental well-being in general. I'll group them under physical things you can do and cognitive, so to do with your thinking you can do. And it's good to do both, the physical and the cognitive. But let's start with the physical because that's often the way in. Like we said earlier, if you start by trying to think positively, it just won't work if your amygdala is still flashing. So physical things... um, It may sound basic, but breathing is a good thing to do. Now, clearly we're all breathing, but when we're anxious, we breathe quite shallowly. Yes. If you've ever watched a baby or maybe a cat or a dog breathing, just think, what do you notice when you watch a baby cat or dog breathing? Oh, it's nice and slow. It is. And you can usually see their belly rising and falling. Yes. And when they breathe in, it rises because their lungs are filling up with air, and when they breathe out, it falls. So a good thing to do if you're feeling anxious is to try and encourage deeper breathing from your belly. So people listening, just put your hand lightly on your belly now. Breathe out. Do quite a a strong breathe out, like you're blowing out birthday candles back in the day when we did those things. And then you'll naturally breathe in, and I'm hoping you will feel your belly expand if you've got your hand lightly on your belly. And then blow blow those candles out again and feel your belly expand. Now, if you don't feel any movement down there, don't panic. It just means you've stopped doing belly breathing and you're probably just breathing from your ribs or from the top of your lungs. So you might want to put your hand on your ribs just under your arm. And again, breathe out, see if there's any movement. So if you can practice belly breathing, just Google diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing, that helps to calm the body. It's a good thing to do once you notice you're in a The first thing is to notice you're in a state. Notice, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Yes. That's the first thing, because we get carried away by the anxiety and don't even notice. So to notice I'm feeling anxious, then take maybe three good out-breaths. And each time you breathe out, just soften your shoulders a bit or your arm, whichever bit of your body you feel anxiety in. And it's good to practice this with minor anxiety, not not don't wait till there's a major thing. Just when you get, you know, annoyed about road rage or burnt dinner or whatever. Yoga's really useful. Um any rhythmic movement. Yes. Our body gets calmed by rhythm. You know if you hold a baby you sort of rock them rhythmically. So we want to mimic that, whether it's walking, cycling, dancing, you know, whatever rhythmic movement, rocking back and forwards, stroking yourself. Try those things and just see what works for you. If you've experienced severe trauma, you may not be in touch with your body. You might not be able to feel things. Um, Please go and get some help from the GP or from talking therapies. All that I'm describing is just really first aid. Um, So that's the kind of physical things, breathing and rhythmic movement. Right. Um, And then the cognitive things. Like I said, the first thing is really mindfulness. It's being able to notice I'm feeling anxious. 
as if you're stepping back and observing yourself. And that takes some practice because that's the prefrontal cortex. That's what makes us different from the animals. We can stand back and observe ourselves and think, oh, I'm feeling anxious right. or I'm feeling scared. Naming the feeling really helps. And then talk to yourself like you would to a good friend. Most of us do not talk to ourselves kindly. We, <laughs> we say, oh, you silly person, why are you feeling that? That's yes, ridiculous. Pull yourself together. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. You would never talk to a dear friend that way. So talk to yourself like you were too different, like, oh, you're feeling scared. Like, I don't know, let me think of it. I've got a minor op on Monday, which I'm scared about. Okay, I, I don't like going to hospital. It's going to be uncomfortable. So I, I was doing this to myself yesterday. I said, okay, Rachel, you're feeling scared about that op. That's, that's to be expected. You know, that's natural to feel scared. And I just stroked my upper arm a bit and said, don't worry, you're feeling scared. It's going to be okay. You know, you'll come through this. Think of all the stuff you've come through before in your life. You're going to get through this too. It won't be pleasant, but you'll be okay. Do you know, just talk to yourself whatever language works for you in the way you'd talk kindly. Mm. Yes, that's good advice. Yeah, you wouldn't say don't be silly or pull yourself together or, you know. Um, and then if you can locate the part of your body where you're feeling the worry and just soften it a bit. Some people find a worry diary useful. Um, so once a day is half an hour when you're allowed to worry, not just before you go to bed. So maybe 5 to 5.30. Write down everything you're worried about in a little diary and keep that diary. And it's quite sobering to look back over the diary a week later and go, I was worried about that. <laughs> that never happened. Right. <laughs> you know, if you look back over what you worried about and compared it to what happened, because worry is all about the future. Yes. It's future focused. So, which brings me sorry, to one last thing that helps. Worry is when we're focused on the future. So a way to help yourself with worry is to anchor yourself in the present moment. So try this right now. Look around you and name five things that you can see. So I can see, I don't know, a teddy bear, a photo frame, a glass of water. I can see a clock. Just name five things you can see to yourself. Then name four things you can feel. I can feel the socks on my feet. I can feel my trousers on my legs. I can feel my skin on my fingertips. You know, four things. So can you see we're grounding you in your senses in the present moment? You can't be present and worry about the future. Five things you can see. Name four things you can feel. List three things you can hear. Two things you can smell. And one thing you can taste. Um... And that can just bring you back in the present moment. And whenever you notice your mind going off worrying, which it will, try and bring it back. So I really recommend mindfulness if you can practice any kind of meditation. That's a really clever and very memorable and easy thing to do as well, isn't it? I think so. But it's good to practice it mm. when you're relatively calm so that when you are panicking, you can do it quickly. Right. Excellent. Well, they're all really small practical things and, and incredibly useful. But at what point do you think we would need to, what signs are we looking for, essentially, that might mean we actually need to go and seek medical advice rather than doing a little bit of the first aid that you've been sharing yeah. with us there? If you are maybe noticing in a friend or a colleague that their behaviour has changed. Mm. Some people, when they get anxious, they get really quieter. So they may not respond much or respond with very short words. Other people, when they're anxious, they get really loud and talk fast and, and all over the place and you can't follow what they're saying. So any change in behaviour, it's worth asking them, how are you doing? 
I've noticed you're more withdrawn. I've noticed you're talking more. Are you okay? Are you really okay? Do you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Often we'll notice it in a friend or colleague before they notice it in themselves. Right. And we may not notice it in ourselves. It's like a boiled frog. You know, it's very slow, so we don't notice it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, or if people are restless, they can't settle to a task. Yeah. Keep just dashing from one thing to the next to the next. And they, or if you lose the ability to prioritise, like everything's urgent and everything has to be now, rather than being able to differentiate and go, well, that could wait, or I could lower my standard on that, or I could ask for help on this. Yes, I see. Okay, that's so very those useful. are some of the signs, Jackie. Mm. And, um, I mean, you've talked about this a little bit with um, what's coming up for you on Monday, but how are you at practising what you preach? <laughs> um, well, I have had 20 years, so I think I'm not bad at it now, but it did take time and practice, and it's probably because I do... I do try to practice like 10 minutes of meditation each morning. I'm not saying I do it every morning. But, you know, I still get anxiety. I think we have to accept that's part of the human condition. Yes. The amygdala kicks in quickly and there I am. I woke up in the night last night and noticed I was anxious, heart pounding, mind racing. So I still get anxiety, but I'm better now at clocking that that's what's happening Mm. and practicing my breathing or my thinking, count three things, good things that happened in the last day. It's a really good way to go to sleep. So I do that every evening. Mm. Just yes. count three things that went well, even if all the rest of the day was full of rubbish. There's always at least three things that went well, and we need to reprogram our brains. Yes, absolutely. And also recognise that sometimes they're very small things that, that Tiny. happened, but they're still good. I cooked an edible dinner. You know, that that's a plus for me if I managed to cook a meal that's not burned. <laughs> I went for a walk and it didn't rain. Yeah. You know, somebody smiled at me. Somebody let me go first in the queue. Exactly. I'm not talking big stuff. It doesn't have to be winning the lottery, although that would also be great, I reckon. That, although that doesn't actually bring happiness, studies shows. But yes, <laughs> that gives us an, an immediate high. But I suppose yeah, it's all yeah. relative. If I win £10, I'm very happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you win a million, mm, that's actually probably more of a burden. Yeah, but yes, it'd be nice to pay the mortgage off and not worry about jobs and yes, finance, indeed. So. I mean, the other thing I'd throw in there as as a bit of extra nutritional advice would be to focus on magnesium a little bit because magnesium yeah. is nature's calmer. It really does calm the nervous system and regulate yeah. the body's response to stress. So one of the tips I often give people is to have an Epsom salts bath or a foot bath if baths aren't for you or you get too overheated. Mm-hmm. Two or three handfuls of those in the bath because it's magnesium sulfate will absorb through the skin, just calms everything down. I mean, the great thing about the bath is, of course, it's me time as well. So you can often sort of shut the door, get away from whatever's bothering you at home and just have you know, 20 minutes of peace and quiet, let the magnesium do its thing, but also just let your mind calm down as well. So it's a bit of a win-win, that one, I think. No, that's a good tip. I have run out and we'll go and get Epsom salts. And trying to just focus on the moment in the bath rather than lying there worrying about tomorrow. Yes. Or the to-do list. It's hard to do, but to try and keep your mind in the present moment. Mm. Well, it does take practice, as, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of to that end, if people would like to find out more about you know, what you do or to seek support from you or the Rowan Consultancy, where can they find you? Probably best to start on our website, www.rowan-consultancy.co.uk. And we run, fairly often we run one and a half hour mental well-being online workshops that anyone can sign up for. So we're doing one at the moment, mental well-being while working from home in winter. 
and another one on supporting colleagues with their mental well-being, which outlines anxiety, depression, SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and so on. So if you go to www.rowan-consultancy.co.uk, you'll find a list of our courses. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll put a link to that in any case on the show notes Thank of you. the podcast page for the website so um, people can find that easily. And I know I mentioned this introdu- in the introduction, so I can't sort of leave without asking you to give a a big shout out for the 2021 menopause festival i was very disappointed that um we we couldn't go ahead with this year's one but i'm excited to be a speaker next time around so fire away rachel tell us all about it give us a one minute pitch pitch okay so the world's only menopause festival has been running in perth scotland for the last three years and 2021 flush fest 2021 will be entirely online because of the current covid situation which means anyone in the world can participate um so it's april the 30th friday afternoon starts with a menopause at work seminar mainly aimed at hr or health and employers to get them clued up on menopause in the workplace then friday night we've got a fabulous comedy evening with pauline air and red velvet revelry a bit of erotic storytelling because we it's a festival because it's not all doom and gloom the menopause we've got to learn to laugh and create art so that's the friday night is the comedy and the erotic storytelling then the saturday the first of may 15 pound for a day ticket early bird rate you get Dr. Heather Curry, who's one of the world's experts on menopause, giving a talk on the medical symptoms. Sam Bunch talking about her book on menopause. And then a load of creative workshops in the afternoon. I think we've got belly dancing, poetry, assertiveness. I can't remember all of them. And Saturday evening, Saturday the 1st of May, is a cabaret from the Silver Sisters, just showing that Older women can still provide pretty good entertainment. So that will be a fabulous girls' night out, I think. Oh, it sounds absolutely great. And I'm giving a workshop on nutrition in the afternoon as well. That's the one I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. I'm I'm here to remind you. (laughs) Thank you. So again, I'm going to put links to that on the show notes page. So keep an eye out for that, everyone. But I would urge you to come along because it's going to be absolutely fabulous. And as Rachel says, you can join from anywhere, which is just brilliant. So before we wrap up, um, and this has been super interesting and I think incredibly useful, tell us, Rachel, from all the things you've learned from from your clinical work and, of course, your own personal experience, what would your top two tips be for women in midlife to to help them reduce that anxiety and manage their mental health? So my first tip to reduce anxiety and manage well-being would be have a routine for moving. So... It might be, for example, one o'clock every day, come rain or shine, I go for a walk around the block because that's the only time I get any sunshine here in Scotland. You need a routine because if I asked myself every morning, do I feel like brushing my teeth? Do I feel like going to work? I wouldn't do it. I just get up, brush my teeth, go to work. Well, in this case, that means climb the stairs. So I strongly recommend come up with a routine for moving. It might be that every hour you make your phone go ping and that means touch the ceiling and and touch your toes. So that's tip number one, get a routine for moving or exercising, preferably outdoors. And tip number two is self-compassion, self-kindness. Talk to yourself like you would to a dear friend. Be kind to yourself. And that's my advice, really. Routine for movement and be kind. Excellent. 
Really wise words. Thanks so much, Rachel. It's been wonderful talking to you again. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm so grateful for all the useful tips you've given us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jackie. And I look forward to seeing you at Flushfest 21 next year. I can't wait. How great was that? Just listening to Rachel's voice makes me feel calmer, not to mention all the helpful advice she's given us. I think the big takeaway is that it's really important to remember to take time to check in with yourself and see how you're really doing, rather than just allowing yourself to keep ploughing on. Self-care is more important than ever during these difficult times, so please look after yourself as well as everyone else. If you'd like to find out more about Rachel and her counselling consultancy, take a look at the show notes on the podcast page of my website, well-well.co.uk where I've posted all the relevant links, including some information about next year's Menopause Festival. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. And make sure you tell all your friends. It makes a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast and really helps to spread the word. Because every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.